This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code LEFT at checkout. Now, another quick reminder before we get started that Best of Left has been nominated for a podcast award and you can help us win by voting once each day between now and March 24th at podcastawards.com. We're up for the top prize, the People's Choice category, and our friends over at the Majority Report are up for their fourth consecutive News and Politics Award. So we only have a week to go. You can help support independent progressive media in this sprint to the finish by setting a daily reminder for yourself to vote each day for both Best of the Left and Majority Report until voting closes. And don't forget to verify each of your votes when they send you an email verification. And now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the award-winning Majority Report, The David Packman Show, Redacted Tonight, The Jimmy Dore Show, Decode DC, and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. This story also a little bit disturbing. It, um, it pushed together two disturbing trends. One is that uh, we have a record amount of student debt in this country. And then the other, uh, we know that Social Security benefits are not keeping up with the rate of inflation. 155,000 Americans had their Social Security benefits reduced in 2013 because they defaulted on student loan. This is a report from the Government Accountability Office this past week. The figure has risen steadily since 2002 when 31,000 Americans had retirement, disability, and survivor benefits cut because of student debt. Five times more. Most of the Americans affected are above 50 years old. A rising share are 65 and older. Last year, 36,000 Americans aged 65 and older had benefits cut because of student debt. 71% of these people were receiving disability income, which means that they weren't. They're not able to work. You cannot. Now, we know Education Department is the primary lender of, uh, student, uh, uh, to students, holds roughly 90% of student debt, which is at about $1.2 trillion now. They, of course, farm this out to private collecting agencies. Under federal law, student debt cannot be discharged in bankruptcy. The government has to stop, at the very least, garnishing the disability payments for Americans who can't work. Unbelievable. We got to make universities free. We got to basically say we're going to uh, reduce principles or cut down on uh, on interest rates just ridiculous when I grow up I want to be a forester run through the moss on high heels that's what I'll do throwing out a boomerang waiting for it to
We've talked about the need for national health care, and we've even talked about how some European countries and some South American countries have uh, college tuition essentially covered by the revenues of the government, also known as taxes to many people. And yesterday we, in fact, spoke with Mark Nason from Fordham University about how education in the United States has become completely corporatized and about the corporate influence on education. If you didn't see that interview, if you didn't hear that interview, check that out. And in the wake of that interview, we now have learned that Germany has abolished college tuition fees altogether. We now have news that even for international students, college is tuition-free, just some minor fees are what students must pay for in Germany. The way this worked was that in Lower Saxony, uh, they voted to become the seventh of seven German states to abolish tuition fees. Tuition fees were, by the way, already really low compared to what we see here in the United States. German universities only started charging tuition fees in 2006 when the German Constitutional Court ruled that some limited fees combined with loans were not really in conflict with the country's commitment to universal education. This was very unpopular, and state by state in Germany, they started voting to eliminate these fees, and yesterday, Lower Saxony becoming the seventh of seven to make that decision that they are going to, discur they are going to eliminate those fees. And the explanation, Lewis, I'll read it to you, is just so obvious. They say, we got rid of tuition fees because we don't want higher education to depend on the wealth of the parents. This is according to Gabrielle Heinen Jajic, the Minister for Science and Culture in Lower Saxony. Tuition fees are unjust. They discourage young people who do not have traditional academic family background from taking up study. This is so obvious. And when we talk about the lack of income mobility, of socioeconomic mobility in the U.S. If you're born very poor, some celebrities and athletes aside, you're statistically very likely to remain poor for your entire life. Part of this is lack of access to education because it is so expensive. And Lewis, this is just, it's such a good thing. It makes perfect sense, but education is not a priority in this country unfortunately. And uh, if we were to make a move like this right now, I don't think we could afford it. I don't think it would work given our current situation. Well, let's talk about a few of the elements that, that I want to address here. And, and we'll kind of talk about what Lewis is talking about. In Germany, not only do we now have this, which makes it so that you pay about 500 euro or $630 for um, uh, uh, or, or rather, these were the semester fees. They were only about $630. They've now been eliminated. So we have the education piece. 85% of those who live in Germany are covered by a basic health insurance plan, which is provided by statute. You are entitled to this basic health care plan. And then there are some others who choose to purchase additional private health insurance. The reaction in the U.S. when you hear about these European countries with all the free stuff Taxes must be completely outrageous. And I looked into it, and lo and behold, they are not, Lewis. Kind of. The top tax rate is 45%. Okay, that's higher than the top U.S. federal tax rate of 39.6%. And it also starts at around $330,000 rather than 406. So that might seem higher. But remember, in the U.S., in most states, you have an additional state income tax, which really makes the tax level more or less equivalent to that in Germany. In the U.S., it certainly does not inclu include health care. It certainly does not include college education. 
and Lewis time and time again were confronted with this reality that if we reallocated our spending based on the taxes already collected, we could be providing these things. I spoke, when I, last time I was in Mexico, I told the story at the hotel bar, I ran into a Australian, an Australian teacher who said he's only been teaching a few years, so his salary is only 75,000 US dollars equivalent, and that includes health insurance, and his tax rate was only 20-something percent, his effective tax rate. This can be done. It can be done, and it's not just uh, proper allocation of, of government funds and, and resources. It's also closing the corporate tax loopholes and making sure that individuals and companies who are supposed to pay a certain amount actually do, which I'm assuming is what's happening in Germany. People are making too much money here in the U.S. off of things that other countries have determined these should not be profit centers. Education, health insurance, these are things that are a fiscally conservative investment in the society for the future, I wish right-wingers would see it that way. The mistakes that you've made, well, they're all your own. There ain't no good in blaming your mom and pop. Can't talk about the dire straits of this demon-filled kleptocracy in which we live without throwing in a nod to the knights and nitruses jumping into battle to right this mangled ship and it is mangled this ship we call america is a bit of a fixer-upper i uh, i saw it last week on flip this house the, the is all backed up it's terrible the corinthian 15 is what they're called they have stuck a flag in the sand and said they're not budging when it comes to student debt okay these students have been scammed tricked and bamboozled by one of the most ferocious lizard-blooded for-profit colleges out there corinthian is now defunct after it got pummeled by federal regulators last year but that doesn't mean debt collectors aren't going to keep chasing these young people riding them constantly like this viral image of a weasel riding a woodpecker <laughs> in, the, in the wild unfortunately that's not some kind of adorable mass transit system it turns out the weasel had gotten the jump on the woodpecker and was trying to eat it seriously just like predatory weasel debt collectors we will be the woodpecker no longer hopefully hopefully more young people will join in this battle but according to cnn's chief business correspondent christine romans it's the students fault We've led young people to believe they can afford a Mercedes education on a Honda budget. It's simply not true. Yeah, listen up, dipshits. You're, you're not all meant for great things or, or even half-assed things, you know, like, like a used Snuggie or a, a chess set missing some pieces. Know your place. If you're a bum, you're a bum for life. If, if you're meant to flip burgers, you flip the out of those burgers, all right? Don't don't try to better yourself. You can't just come from nothing and be something, all right? For every Alec Baldwin, there's like ten Stephen Baldwins. If you go to a nice college, you'll just get in the way of the blue bloods, taking up the parking spots, crowding the computer lab. Just drop out and get a job mopping the computer lab, okay? The good news, behaviors are changing. Sally May says about 69% of families are ruling out colleges that are too expensive. 
Good news! Our class system is correcting itself, and the rich, the rich are the only ones getting the best education. Good news. For a minute there, it looked like the sediment and detritus were going to be able to borrow their way into our circles, but we had to tell the admissions office that my son had violently contagious herpes just so they wouldn't make him share a dorm room with an untouchable. Number two, graduate in four years. Thanks, Einstein. Thank you. Let's see, $40,000 per year. Is it more for more years? STEM. Science, technology, engineering, and math. It's where the jobs are. Eight of the top ten earning careers are in engineering. Yeah! doing what you want with your life. Go where the money is. If you want to be a painter, become an engineer. If, if your passion is dancing, go into technology. This is the land of broken dreams. Now get in line, America. Don't worry if you don't end up doing what you want with your life. You'll get them next time. Remember, college is still the golden ticket. You just have to punch it in the right place. I want to punch you in the right place. If... if, if if, if condescension were a fuel, you could travel to Mars. At no point in that little Lucifer tutorial does she mention that maybe college shouldn't be so insanely expensive, that college boards shouldn't bend over to corporate profit whores and shouldn't trick students into predatory loans that they're paying off their whole life. No, Miss Romans tells us the real problem is that these idiot kids don't understand the feudal system in which they live. Join us next week when we tell you how to invest your money in some mag Mr. Clean magic erasers so you can get to work, commoner. Be careful not to wake me up I'm having the most vivid of dreams Well, you are my queen and real ride Until sunrise we're living in the future. No, we don't have real hoverboards yet, but there's still exciting news. You don't need a developer to build a sleek and professional website, which I think is a reasonable consolation prize. Whether you need it for a business, an online work portfolio, or you just want a blog for that brilliant think piece you've been working on, starting at just eight bucks a month, Squarespace provides tons of gorgeous, clean templates and easy drag and drop site building and customization. If you can play computer solitaire, you can use Squarespace. But just in case you still need help, Squarespace offers 24-7 customer support, including live chat during the week and super fast email support day and night. Easily connect any and all social media accounts to your site and save time and headaches knowing that your Squarespace site has a responsive design that automatically scales to look beautiful on every device. It's so smart, some Republicans might be tempted to call it witchcraft. Check it out for yourself with a 14-day free trial, no credit card necessary. Then, when you're ready to make the move permanent, be sure to use the special offer code LEFT at checkout. That's just L-E-F-T, which gets you 10% off your purchase, and that code also lets them know that you're supporting this show at the same time. My most noble night was slain by a bandit on the highway. President Obama has put forth a proposal that he would like to see community college made available at no cost to people meeting certain requirements. And putting this plan into action might cost up to $60 billion over the next decade, and that number is making right-wingers flip out. But what that ignores is that the economic benefit could far, far exceed those $60 billion. Now, if enacted, the proposal would offer 
two tuition-free years of community college to students who maintain a C-plus or better grade point average and attend classes at least half-time. The federal government would cover 75% of the cost, and states that want to participate would cover the other 25%. Nationwide, community colleges are a huge part of the U.S. economy. They contribute an estimated $809 billion dollars in 2012, according to a study by the Economic Modeling Specialist International. And on a local level, community colleges mean better jobs, they mean higher wages, they mean more spending power for graduates, which has a huge stimulative effect on all of the surrounding businesses. And a recent analysis found that two, a 2% increase in people with associate's degrees and a 1% increase in people with bachelor's degrees would result in $20 billion in additional economic input, $1.2 billion in additional state and local tax revenues every year, and 174,000 new jobs. And if you look at this on a dollar-by-dollar -dollar basis, for every dollar that is spent on economic and workforce development programs, at community colleges, there is a $12 increase in California's business income and employee wages, and the state of California receives a $4.50 net return for every dollar it invests in students for uh, getting them uh, into and through college. This is so fiscally conservative, and it won't even matter because Obama proposed it, Lewis. It won't matter at all. I'm sure it sounds very, very expensive to a lot of people out there. But the tiniest little decrease in defense funding, uh, defense funding could easily cover this. Oh, of course. And But the thing is, that doesn't even matter. Obviously, you're making a good point, but it doesn't even matter because the spending itself would be, would be budget negative because of the hugely stimulative effect that we know this to have. Step back for a second and just think for, think for a second. Wait a second. What you're telling me, David, is that stimulating education is good for the economy who would ever imagine that uh, but stimulating education is bad for republicans so, <laughs> well that's right it would lead yeah. to a more informed public and we know rick santorum has said uh, we're never going to have the smart people on our side uh, universities and colleges are just liberal indoctrination and to, to a certain extent republicans are aware because we've heard them say it that more education is not necessarily a good thing for conservative ideology. So more education, the inability to see the long-term effects of something like this, and a price tag of $60 billion is just terrifying for any Republican. This is how much it would cost to make community colleges f free. You know how much it would cost? It's a $60 billion proposal that provides grants to pay 75% of the average cost of community college for two years, and participating states would be required to cover the rest. So $60 billion, but that's over 10 years. So I don't know how to do the math on that, but $60 billion into 10 years, that's like... Um, a little more than $5 billion a year mm -hmm. so everybody could go to community college for free. That seems like a bargain.
That seems like a bargain to me. Am I wrong about this? I don't know. We can't start another war if we do that. Yeah. <laughs> we cannot afford another war. If we if kids are going to college. Yeah. You got you gotta make choices. So here's Steve Ducey where I'm watching Fox and Friends and Friends and Friends. And um <laughs> and Steve Ducey was he's a little upset about this. They're a little upset about that Barack Obama wants to make community first of all, I when I tell people and I'll say this every week. College used to be free in California. Mm -hmm. It was free up until Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan started charging fees and tuition for kids to go to college in California. And when they asked him why he's doing that, he said, why should I subsidize people who are going to vote against me? So that was the start of the, that was the beginning of the march against intellectualism my dad, in America. My dad went to Stanford for uh, uh, $35 a quarter a semester. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Your dad went to Stanford. Yeah. No, not for that amount of money. It was it was nothing. Yeah. Was well, he still paying off his debt? Is he, so here's Steve Ducey. Listen, to this. So it's a good question, Edward. Here's what Steve Ducey on Fox and Friends and Friends had to say about this. Here's the thing that really bothers me about this. What? I made my final two college tuition payments about two weeks ago. We're speaking right. like from the heart of, of your dad and mom. So, so he I just love when white guys make it about I. Yeah. When they tell their I stories. Yes, exactly. Things that we have to have empathy for. I didn't. Ha by, by the way. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I had to walk to school backwards in the snow. Why should they get a bus? Things like that. <laughs> right. It's like, no. He, so uh, Steve Steve Ducey said he just paid off his student loans two weeks ago. He's 58, and he went to the University of Kansas. The only way that could be true is if he went to the University of Kansas for 30 years. <laughs> Without community college, where would Fox News get their women? Where would they get their reporters? <laughs> That's a feeding ground. <laughs> I'm serious. He went. To, I looked it up. He went to the University of Kansas, and he said he just got done paying off a student loan. The University of Kansas only costs about ten grand a year now. <laughs> so tw thirty years ago, or thirty-five years ago, when he went to college, he still. So he's just making stuff up. And by the way, he didn't go to a community college, so this wouldn't affect him either way. Exactly. He went to a university, so this wouldn't be. And that's that old. We were just talking about. That's that thing of. Um, Hey, we didn't have free co community college when I was a kid, so why should they have it now? It, no one's ever said that about good government programs. They're going to go, hey, you know, like in the 30s, hey, my parents didn't have Social Security. Why should we have Social Security now? <laughs> it's the white outrage. Yes. And yeah. the false equivalencies, and it's just so ridiculous. It's, it's the like, white people are afraid somebody might get something that they're, that they didn't get, right? Yeah, I like when people go back in history. It's like, hey, this didn't happen back then. I say, well, you, you also were at separate water fountains. You want to go back ah, to that too? Ah, <laughs> really? I mean, it's just, I, I, it never makes any sense. I'm so ashamed to be white that I'm leaving. Uh, so here's what uh, Elizabeth Hasselbeck has to say about it. They're feeling the same way. Wait a second. We are, now we're paying for more college tuition for somebody else to the tune of $60 billion. What a great deal, but who's going to pay for that? But it's only, we're talking. I just thought that whole thing. Who's going to pay for that? They never ask that question when they want to bomb ISIS, when they want to give an oil subsidy, bail out Wall Street. They never go, who is going to pay for this? It's only when, who's going to pay for this when we're actually going to give college to American people for free? By the way, this isn't a cost. This is what's known as an investment. Yeah. Right. So you're investing in America. You're investing in the people in America by educating them. That's going to pay its for itself backwards. That's not a cost. You know, when you put money in a savings account in the bank, you don't go, oh, what did it cost you to put that? In? No, it's making you money. That's why you do it. You're investing that money.
So that's again another, and, and they love to, it's, they love to make it into a wedge. Oh, white people, you're gonna be paying for college for some poor brown person. That's what this, that's what that is. What, let's listen to a little bit more. Talking about Steve, your your uh, your uh, family did not go choose junior college, so you would had not it be been eligible. free, Brian. They might have right. But look, the bill's going to end up on somebody's plate, and it's the American yeah, people. Right. You just got a new kid, and you're paying for his college tuition. Right. Right? So again, they're so upset that somewhere there might be someone that gets to go to college, and that it's more that you sh they shouldn't. By the way, they're against it. They're against people. They're for impediments to college. They're for putting a barrier in between education. And and poor kids. That's what they're all about. They don't ask that somebody else is not going to have to pay for some poor kid to go to college. Can you believe that? No, somebody, you're going to you're going to pay for some poor kids to go to college. Wouldn't you rather pay to put them in prison? Because that's what I'd rather do. They never say that. By the way, we're going to get the money for this prison construction. They never ask. They never say that. Where where we going to get the prison construction money? Where we going to get the bomb money? They never ask these questions. Because if you ask it, that's that's an American. You're unpatriotic. Yes. Like, yeah. If you start questioning that. Yes. But again, questioning where are we going to get the money to send someone to school? The richest country in the goddamn world can't afford to send its own citizens to school. That's a good, but she, and she wants you to get upset about it, right? Elizabeth Hasselbeck wants you to be angry that you're a nice white person and you have to pay for somebody else's college. Oh my God. <laughs> Again, do you want to pay for somebody's education, some kid's education, or his death row? We're, that's what we're saying. Or his prison. Yeah. It costs $35,000 a year to put somebody in prison. Would you rather spend a couple hundred dollars to send them to college every semester? And by the way, that money goes back into... so. Instead of they gra graduate on death row, it's a, ha. <laughs> you know they finally reach an end. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm not saying it's a good thing, right? But <laughs> you are saying that the graduation rates are up. This right. now, uh, if you take out, if you have to take out a loan to go to college, what that means is you have to then pay that loan back. So instead of making a five hundred dollar a month payment to Sally May or some bank. In, uh, you know, in New York or Connecticut or wherever, you can now take that money in, I don't know, buy a car, pay your rent, go to a restaurant, buy some shoes. What I'm saying is that money goes back into the economy instead of going into a banker's pocket somewhere. So that's why, again, why this would be a good thing. It's good for the economy. But, of course, any any government program that actually helps people – they're going to be against that Fox and Friends and Friends and Friends and Friends. Because you can't, government helping people, that's borderline immoral. They don't want any money going into the system from the ground up because that would destroy their ultimate dream of having a feudal system. Yeah. <laughs> a feudal society of, of itinerant uh, farm workers living off the land that they have to pay rent on and can never leave because they can't afford a car. Pretty soon, women won't be able to drive anymore, like Saudi Arabia. We can only hope. We can only hope, uh, can only Jimmy. Hope. <laughs> uh, so here, so Steve, uh, Brian Kilmeade ends it with this. No, uh, oh, by the way, uh, I just, uh, I just don't understand the word free. Nothing is free <laughs> because he didn't go to college. <laughs> yeah, if you went to college, maybe you'd understand what free, free meant. <laughs> and I have a program that can help you go for free, Brian.
This is Decode DC. I'm Andrea Seabrook. And here with me in the studio is Elizabeth Shelton. She's one of the producers on our show. Hi, Liz. Hey there. So, Liz, President Obama has a proposal that would make community college free, right, for just about everyone. And you've been looking into this, right, Liz? Tell us what you found. So before we get into the president's plan, there's actually somebody who I want you to meet first. Okay. Okay. I'm going to throw my headphones in real quick. His name is Ben Sterling. Ben lives in Tennessee, and growing up, he always knew he really wanted to go to college. But he honestly didn't know the first thing about how to make it happen. Neither of his parents had graduated from college. His mom never went. His dad dropped out after one semester. Still, they encouraged Ben to go. But when he found out how much tuition would cost at a four-year college, he thought he'd never make it. His mom was a teaching assistant, and his dad was working as a manager at a chemical plant. And financially, it really just was not in the cards. Um, as I started to kind of look at the Bursar offices and things of that nature and see how much tuition was, it was unbelievably eye-opening. When you start seeing how much it costs, it's just it, – it was – demotivational, I guess. It just completely was an, uh, it was an unexpected realization. And it was that for my parents as well. So Liz, it sounds like Ben is exactly the kind of person President Obama is talking about. Someone who really needs financial help to make college happen. Right. So a high school guidance counselor told him about this brand new scholarship. It was just starting up in Tennessee and it would pay for his first two years of community college tuition. He said that was a game changer for him and his family. Oh, I mean, it went from a, we want you to go to a you're going type situation. Uh, and that was just, just an unbelievable relief for my parents. They'll tell you that even to today. For Ben and his family, the money was huge. But once Ben enrolled in Pellissippi State Community College, it became clear to him that there was something the money couldn't do. Teach him how to be a college student. Did you know how to study? No, no, no clue. I, I had no, I, I, I'll tell you, it took me probably two years. So in other words, the money may have gotten Ben through the door, but it wasn't going to get him across the graduation stage. That's so interesting, because it seems like the debate over all of this, this free community college, is, is all about the money. Exactly. It's about whether the money you invest in paying someone's tuition is worth the money that they'll put back in the system once they get a higher paying job and contribute more in taxes, etc. But the more I listen to Ben's story, the more I realize that it's about more than money. To get any benefit from this whole community college thing, we can't just have people going. They actually have to finish. So here's the question. I mean, if that's the goal, is it really enough just to sign the tuition check? That is a great question, Liz. And so I am going to step aside and hand the podcast over to you. Elizabeth Shelton's Take It Away. So to try to figure this out, I took a look at a state that's been doing free community college for a few years now, Tennessee. And I talked to someone there who started the whole tuition-free community college experiment back in 2008. I caught up with Chrissy Delahandro while she was doing what she does best. Hey, Elizabeth. Multitasking. If you hear a 20-month-old in the background, she's watching Elmo in the car. Her car is kind of like Chrissy's second office. She crisscrosses Tennessee talking to high schoolers and their parents about the state's full tuition scholarship. 
It's actually way more than a scholarship, but we'll get to that later. Right now, she's off shepherding the largest group of high school seniors in the state's history through the daunting maze of college admissions. Just yesterday, I had what I call a phone call day, which I literally sat at my desk and and only answered the phone. High school seniors in Tennessee, they have a big deadline coming up. They have to get their financial aid forms turned in if they want to be considered for the state's full tuition community college scholarship. And Chrissy was actually one of those students many years ago. She didn't go to community college. She went to a four-year institution. But she was the first in her family to go to college. She was smart. She was motivated. But she had a ton of hurdles. And so about six years ago, she convinced a bunch of private donors to pay for a scholarship to send high school seniors to community college tuition-free. Not only that, but she paired each high schooler with a volunteer mentor to walk them through the forms and all that college jargon. They called the scholarship mentor combination Tennessee Achieves, and it grew. At first, the whole program was just her. Now she has dozens of paid staffers who manage thousands of volunteer mentors. And just last year, Tennessee's Republican governor, Bill Haslam, ponied up some money from the state, and he changed the name to Tennessee Promise. If that name sounds familiar, it's because President Obama mentioned it back in January at a speech in Tennessee, where he announced his plan to make two years of community college free for every American. Community colleges should be free for those willing to work for it. Now, the good news is you already do something like this in Tennessee. You call it Tennessee Promise. So so you call it Tennessee Promise, and and we thought... uh, Why not just build on what works? So we're going to call it America's College Promise. Yeah, that small thing that Chrissy had started back in 2008, now it was the thing that President Obama was using as a model for his national program. It all just seemed very surreal, honestly. There are just moments where I'm like, did did this all happen? (laughs) But here's the thing. Chrissy Delahandro, a woman who has been working day and night for more than six years to make free community college a reality for thousands of students in Tennessee, most of whom would be the first in their family to attend college, Chrissy does not believe that signing the tuition check is the most important thing when it comes to students succeeding. After more than six years in this free community college test kitchen, she says there is something even more important than free tuition. We really think the secret ingredient is the mentors. And this is the Chrissy Diallo-Hubbard philosophy on college access. You can take it for what it's worth. What Chrissy is saying is the money is important, sure. But there are two hurdles it doesn't address. First of all, many of the students who are eligible for the free tuition scholarship in Tennessee don't even realize that it's out there. And once they learn about it, there's still this crazy, complicated system Forms and tests that, especially for students whose parents hadn't been to college, can be daunting. This is where the mentors come in. Mentoring for us is not mentoring like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, although an amazing organization. First, we need a volume of mentors. Um, This year, we anticipated needing 9,000 mentors. In the Tennessee program that's been going on for more than six years, 
Each of the high school students who applies for the scholarship is matched with a volunteer mentor, and these mentors have very specific goals. Number one, they're a cheerleader. We'll get through this together. And then I think the most important piece of this is being a taskmaster. What I've found is these 17-year-olds are just not on their game. They're not meeting deadlines. They have senioritis. The problem's more important. The taskmaster thing that should sound familiar to anyone who has ever raised a teenager, or been a teenager for that matter. For me, it brought back memories of my own mom, who has not one but three degrees, serving as my taskmaster. When I was applying to college, my mom would be like, "You know that FAFSA needs to be in in a week. Have you filled it out?" And I'd be like, "Oh, mom, yeah, I'm doing it." So I guess for students whose parents they want the best for them, yes. But it'd be like if my mom was trying to prepare me for like a mission to Mars. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And I will tell you, I am a first-generation low-income kid from Middle Tennessee, and that was exactly my experience. I had two incredibly supportive, non-college-attending parents who had no idea the questions that I had, the questions I should be asking. It was very foreign to all of us. This confusion is exactly why Chrissy says signing the tuition check isn't enough, and she has scientific data to back her up. A few years ago, Chrissy asked some researchers at the University of Tennessee's business school to study her scholarship program. When they looked at high school seniors who were kind of on the fence about community college, they found that for every one thousand dollars in scholarship money you give those seniors. They become four percent more likely to enroll in community college. Not impressive, but if you add in the mentor, you know somebody to make sure that student is on their game, as Chrissy says, the odds go way up. Students with this support are five times more likely to enroll in community college. Best of Left is supported by Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way for just one quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor. Their investment strategy focuses majorly on index funds, a simple, low-cost way to spread your money across essentially the entire stock market, where it can grow at the pace with the market and pay out dividends along the way. Some of the smartest people in finance endorse this strategy, and some of the dumbest people I've ever heard talk about finance. I'm looking at you, Mad Money, Jim Cramer. Hate this strategy by simply avoiding trading fees and commissions altogether, and paying only an extremely low service fee. You save money without even trying, and then let your investment grow with this time-tested method on Wealthfront. To see for yourself, visit wealthfront.com/left, and they'll manage your first ten thousand dollars for absolutely free. That's wealthfront.com/left. And now the fine print: Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealth. 
Oceanfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risk and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read the full disclosure. You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, the Student Aid Bill of Rights. Now, the second half of second term Obama isn't all sunshine and roses, but some of the policies he's dishing out are downright progressive. Enacting a Student Aid Bill of Rights is one of those policies. In his weekly address this past Saturday, President Obama unveiled a long overdue proposal that builds on his State of the Union promise to provide two years of free community college to any American who wants to enroll and is accepted. The Student Aid Bill of Rights states that every student in America should, one, have access to high-quality, affordable higher education, two, be able to easily find the resources they need to pay for college, three, be able to choose an affordable repayment plan for student loans, and four, receive quality customer service, reliable information, and fair treatment when repaying loans. It sounds simple, and it basically is. Currently, those who are able to go to college graduate with an average of $28,000 in debt. One in 10 students graduates with more than $40,000, and elite degrees in law and medicine can cost upwards of $150,000. With federal student loans passing the $1 trillion mark, not to mention the private loans taken out by students and families, the debt our young people are saddled with before entering the workforce is, as Forbes.com put it, crippling the economy. Visit whitehouse.gov slash college opportunity and add your name to the presidential memorandum. Then use contactingthecongress.org to call, email, and tweet with the hashtag college opportunity to let your representatives know you expect them to get behind this plan to take steps to enshrining the right to quality, affordable education into law. While you're at it, let your state representatives know you expect them to implement the president's plan for free community college. Even though it would be at no cost to the states, we've seen Republican, split, and even Democratic state houses reject free federal money during this administration, which means they need to hear from you. As long as the Republicans control Congress, debt forgiveness is off the table. Let's do what we can now to push the conversation to the left and keep student debt in the news and the forefront of the public consciousness so that during the primaries in 2016 presidential run, the groundwork will be laid to make a trillion-dollar infusion into the economy an obvious, politically viable plan. The segment notes include all the links to this information, as well as additional resources, and as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. If equal access to high education matters to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about the Student Aid Bill of Rights via social media so that others in your network can get behind the plan, too. Can you stand up and be counted as a body in a crowd? Put your name on a petition with your signature so proud. Can you raise your voice so loud as you stand with head on bowed? Weather beating on your brow, demanding answers here and now. Cause that's how you make a difference in this fickle world of change. Uh, This week, hundreds of thousands of students started classes at colleges and universities. And one thing is increasingly clear. By the time they graduate, most students are going to be leaving with a lot more than just a tacky polyester robe and a copy of Oh, the Places You'll Go that their tearful aunt got them. (laughs) They'll be leaving with this. 
Seven of ten graduating students left college last year in debt. The total bill due for students in America tops one trillion dollars. That's right. Student debt in the U.S. is now bigger than debt from credit cards and auto loans, and is second only to mortgages. Essentially, student debt is like HPV. If you go to college, you're almost certainly going to get it, and if you do, it will follow you for the rest of your life. Because legally, student debt is a special kind of debt. It is the most collectible kind of debt there is. It is non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. They will garnish your wages. They will intercept your your tax refunds. They, they, they will sue you in court. Well, they won't stop there. They'll steal your wallet. They'll pawn your baby shoes. They will shrink themselves down to two inches high, hide in your pocket, and take that money back one dime at a time. <laughs> Student debt has tripled in the past decade. It has surpassed Bob Marley's greatest hits album as the thing seemingly every college student has. <laughs> How did this happen? Well, more than 90% of student debt is subsidised by the federal government, and it all started with such good intentions. Here is one of the federal student loan programme's early champions. Poverty must not be a bar to learning, and learning must offer an escape from poverty. Ah, escape from poverty. By the way, the single worst Kurt Russell movie ever made. <laughs> but, but, but a, a higher education system open to all was one of LBJ's top priorities, along with creating, of course, a Libyan pool party in Vietnam, <laughs> and and finding a pair of pants that could contain his gigantic testicles. Now, that last one might sound like a joke, but listen to this actual phone conversation that he had in the Oval Office with a representative from the Hagar Clothing Company. The crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me an inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. Let's see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper in. <laughs> Ends, uh, round uh, under my back to my bunghole. If that's real, look, we all thought the B in LBJ stood for Baines, but it actually stands for Balls, Balls, My Big Bulbous Balls Are Too Close to My Bunghole. Isn't history fun? Uh, but like LBJ's testicles, the federal student loan program has now swollen to uncomfortable proportions. <laughs> One reason for this might be that in recent years, states have slashed funding for higher education by 23%. Public institutions have responded by raising tuition rates, forcing students to take out ever larger loans. Why else do you think the colleges have so many f***ing a cappella groups? <laughs> They know they sound stupid, they just can't afford instruments anymore. <laughs> Another consequence of these cuts has been that some community colleges have been forced to reduce capacity, leading to things like a nursing program in North Carolina with a waiting list just to get on the waiting list. Because that is what you need in the land of tobacco and barbecue, a shortage of nurses. <laughs> but, but all this shows that people in this country they, they want to go to school to better their lives. And it is good that they have broad access to federal funds to help them do that. The problem is, this is where we meet one of the biggest drivers of student debt, for-profit schools. Like, 
University of Phoenix and ITT Tech. Most of them are publicly traded on Wall Street and they run commercials like this. One evening I was uh, watching TV and an ITT Tech commercial came on and I decided to give them a call. I think my education has paid off tremendously. I got into the field of aerospace. It's been uh, over 12 years now. There's nothing I would change about my life. Uh, we've been married almost 10 years now. We have two beautiful boys. Everything is perfect. That's nice. Although I will say there's something about the phrase everything is perfect that I find inherently suspicious. Because the only other person who says that is Janice in accounting and she secretly puts Jim Beam in her coffee cup and repeats keep you together you can do this Janice into the bathroom mirror five times a day. For-profit schools account for nearly a third of all student loans despite having just 13% of our country's students. That is way out of proportion. And part of why for-profit schools account for so much student debt is that they are not cheap. I was surprised to learn how expensive tuition at the for-profits is. Five to six times the cost of a community college and as much as twice a four-year state university. Wow. Five to six times the cost of a community college. Plus, you don't even get to hang out with a study group full of lovable scamps for... for for let's say, for how long, for, for let's say six seasons in a movie. But <laughs> if you are wondering why they charge so much, it is nothing to do with the quality of education. If you take a look at for-profit colleges, the analysts will tell you that anywhere between 20 and 25% of the total revenue of the company is in sales and marketing. About a quarter. In most cases, the faculty are in the 10 to 20% range. They spend half the amount on teachers that they do on marketing. Think about that. He's basically saying, hey, teachers, we're not saying you don't matter. We're just saying ads about you matter twice as much. <laughs> no, one for you, two for a spot during Wayne Brady. That's about fair. <laughs> the thing is, from a purely business perspective, that disparity makes some kind of sense. When I go and buy perfume for my mom, the chemicals in the bottle and the bottle itself amount to about 50 cents. The advertising amounts to five or six bucks. Okay, for a start, stop buying perfume for your mom, you f***ing creep. <laughs> I like the way you smell, mom. You smell good. And secondly, Perfume is not education, although I will say both do market themselves aggressively. And with perfume, it's spraying it into people's eyes when they walk into a department store. And for for-profit schools, it's actually even worse. Zara Crowley was a recruiter at the for-profit Westwood College in 2007. Crowley says she quit because she couldn't continue preying on low-income youth and using something called pain points. Pain point would be something, they work at McDonald's, they don't want to be like their parents. We'd turn it on them and say, I thought you wanted to do something with your life. Do you want to work at McDonald's for the rest of your life? Yeah. They are told to hit people's pain points. The only professionals who should be doing that are dominatrixes <laughs> or emo bands. That's it. <laughs> and this pain point approach seems to be an industry-wide technique. This is an actual slide some ITT tech recruiters were shown during training. 
That photo is from Marathon Man, where Laurence Olivier famously played a Nazi torturer. And it's maybe not saying much for your business model if your essential logic is, hey guys, this works really well for the Nazis, let's at least give it a go. <laughs> but if you do sign up for one of these schools, what kind of education are you going to get? Well, remember the ITT tech graduate from earlier and his absolutely perfect f***ing life? <laughs> well, well, it actually says on the screen that he graduated with an associate's degree in engineering from ITT's Silmar campus. Now, we checked their public filings, and out of 115 students who enrolled in that program in the class of 2012, three quarters didn't graduate, and only 13 found work in that field. Meaning everyone else would have genuinely been better off studying engineering at Hogwarts, because at least that way, they have a f***ing owl to show for it. And even for those who do graduate, job hunting might be a little difficult as students from a Corinthian college nursing program found. I've been on countless interviews and um, they all asked if I've ever been in a hospital and I would have to tell them we never set foot in a hospital, ever. We went to a museum of Scientology for our psychiatric rotation. What? Scientologists do not believe in psychiatry. Their museum is literally called Psychiatry and Industry of Death. <laughs> Going to the Museum of Scientology for your psychiatric rotation is certifiably insane. <laughs> or evidence of a build-up of thetans in your system. It's, there's no... It, 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 you teach the controversy. Now, now, full disclosure, we asked Corinthian about this and they requested that we point out a few things, such as the fact that those women later sued the school, a financial settlement was reached, and that those women later went on to become registered nurses. And, and also, that us not mentioning those facts to you would constitute reckless disregard for the truth. I mean, not the kind of reckless disregard for the truth that would lead you to send medical students to a f***ing Scientology museum, but, you know, pretty reckless. Pretty reckless, nonetheless. Also... Uh, they, also, they also wanted us to take clear and extensive note of subsequent events and interest of doing that. You should know that this summer, after a government investigation of their job placement numbers, Corinthian colleges have agreed to sell or close every school they operate in the US. I presume that that's what they wanted us to tell you, so job done. Now, to, to be fair, to be fair here, we're good, we're good. Now, now to be fair here, the federal government does try to regulate these schools. They are only allowed a mere 90% of their funding to come from federal loans. However, for-profit schools have found themselves a truly horrifying loophole. The 90-10 rule says that the schools can only have 90% of their money coming from loans, but the other 10% could come from veteran loans. They exempted uh, the veterans' benefits, so these schools have gone after the veterans' benefits as a way to leverage their ability to, to sign up more students. They're going after veterans, and the only time going after veterans is okay is when you let them walk through the door in front of you, not when you try to take their f***ing money. Now, for-profit schools took in $1.7 billion in GI Bill money in the last reported school year alone, and this is the length to which Ashford University was willing to go to get that sweet, sweet budget-assisting veteran dollar. 
I went to a marine base in North Carolina and I found that one of the for-profit colleges was sending a recruiter to the wounded warriors barracks where she was signing up uh, brain injured marines who uh, even had difficulty remembering what courses they were taking. Holy shit. I will say this for for-profit schools. They've just given us all a first-class education in the depths of human depravity. We all have a diploma in that now. And he here is where I actually have some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is, a few years back, the Obama administration proposed tighter, gainful employment standards. The bad news is, everything that happened after that. The for-profit industry spent $10 million in lobbying that year, and also, and this thankfully is a fun bit, their trade group inundated the government with thousands of letters from ordinary students and educators asking them not to tighten the regulations. And, and let me read one to you. It reads, I am a career college student at institution studying program. <laughs> institution is providing me with the education and training necessary to obtain the job I've always wanted as a career. <laughs> Many, many people didn't even bother filling in the blanks. Could, couldn't they at least have done it a bit like Mad Libs? You, you could have gone to Butt Cheese University seeking a degree in Wiener Studies. Go the extra mile. And the worst thing is, the campaign worked. The gainful employment rules were weakened and eventually struck down completely. The latest version of the rules are expected by November, and the for-profit school trade group, APSCU, is still lobbying hard against them. And if you'd like to um, let APSCU know how you feel about their industry's behaviour, we've actually prepared a form letter for you, which reads, To whom it may concern, I am, name here, a human being with, describe at least some level of sense, who is sick of your synonym for bullshit. Whatever the benefits of for-profit schools, your trade group is protecting some of the worst actors and additional insults, ideas for places to cram this letter once rolled up, proposals for human waste products to be eaten. Thank you for your time. Name here again. Feel free. Feel free to go online, copy this letter. Please do not bother to fill it in at all and send it to Appsku at this address. And that might make you feel a little bit better, but it will only be temporary because the student debt problem is far bigger than just for-profit schools. If they all went away, student debt problem would still be here because our leaders have decided that while education is incredibly important, it is not important enough to actually pay for. So with that in mind, let me speak right now to all current freshmen in college who have student loans. Okay. <clears throat> You need to stop watching this show right now. You don't have time for this. Get out there and enjoy the f*** out of your college experience because you may be paying for it for the rest of your life. I'm serious. Drink beer from a funnel. Uh, kidnap a mascot. Uh, find out if you're gay or not. And even if you are not, have some gay experiences. Do it now. It doesn't count. Uh, become that weird guy on campus who rides a unicycle from class to class. Find out whoever the Winklevoss twins of your school are and steal their idea for a website and shoot fireworks out of every bodily orifice you can find. Do it now. Please make sure your college years are the best ones of your life because thanks to the debt that we are saddling you with, they almost certainly will be.
Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Katie Klebusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. Now, I wasn't able to play voicemails today because we have business to take care of. We have things to talk about, uh, important, urgent matters to discuss. So a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, you may recall a listener by the name of Kate called in and discussed her disappointment with progressives for not uh, talking about uh, the effects of animal agriculture and and our personal diets on you know and, and the impacts they have on climate change. As part of that call, she said this: "I'm so disappointed that progressives." never really talk about this when it comes to climate change. And I understand, I'm not blaming you at all because I understand that you are somewhat limited by uh, the clips that you put together. So obviously other people have to be talking about it. You know, I actually wrote into David Pakman a couple months ago asking him if he had ever considered veganism. And he actually just sort of laughed it off and really we even wouldn't consider going vegan or abstaining from animal agriculture products for even a short period of time. And I feel like while that's a disappointing reaction, I wasn't really surprised at all because really when progressive, <laughs> when the rubber hits the road, we can be a little, you know, milk toast about the actual changes we can make on a daily basis. Well, at the end of last week, I received an email from David Pakman, yes, the David Pakman, in response to this message. A listener of his had drawn his attention to it, and he wrote in a message to me sounding basically as angry as I have ever heard him, although for context, um, basically the, the emotional range that I've witnessed from David Pakman is anything from mildly amused to slightly perturbed that that's about as, as as angry as I've heard him so he was definitely slightly perturbed about this and so he, he goes on to say that her claims that he laughed off the idea of veganism uh, is quote inaccurate and also quote subjective so those sound like fighting words and uh, I said that I would be happy to clear this up he responded to Kate's question about veganism on his show, so I can actually play the clip for you, and you can judge for yourself, and we can put all of this nastiness to rest. So here is that clip. All right, next question on uh, this Friday show is from Kate. Kate wrote in and said, a few weeks ago, David, you were talking about bullfights in Spain and how you were uh, torn between the obvious animal cruelty and the cultural relevance of the sport. Let me stop there. I wasn't torn by it at all. I've made very clear that I will not go to a bullfight. I, I, I'm not torn by it at all. I think it's absolutely brutal and cruel, and I, I'm, I'm not even remotely torn by it at all. So let's, let's stop there and answer that part first. But now here's the rest of the question. Um, it was an insight into some of the sensitivity that you both have for animals. I was wondering if either of you would ever consider going vegan or trying a period of, of uh, veganism where you abstain from all animal products. No. I have never considered going vegan. I have become very aware of the fact that I'm uncomfortable eating a variety of animals over the last few years, and I've limited my, my meat consumption to poultry, fish and seafood, and occasionally beef. 
I don't eat pork, not for religious reasons, but just the more I learn about about pig intelligence and how they're equivalent to dogs and in intelligence in many, many ways, that makes me feel weird about it, although it's arbitrary. Why is intelligence rather than size or longevity or whatever the, the, the deciding factor? I get that it's arbitrary. It's it's kind of what I've chosen. And I'm certainly not eating any new meat. So if I go somewhere that has alligator, I've never had alligator. I'm not going to try alligator, but I have never considered veganism. Um, I, I consider dairy, certainly dairy and eggs, um, certainly a part of my diet that I have absolutely no interest in, in abstaining from. And, uh, I, I think that in general, I buy that overpriced, uh, organic cage free eggs and the whole thing and mate for better or worse, I've convinced myself that it's, it's better because that's what I'm buying versus whatever else. And it may not be right, Lewis. I, I, I truly honestly don't know. Um, but no, the answer is I have not considered veganism. Uh, Lewis, how about you? Uh, uh, veganism, no. I don't eat a lot of meat, and that is because of, um, well, the conditions of where these animals are raised, slaughterhouses, and uh, just that whole process. So I, I don't eat a lot of meat. When I do, uh, I try to aim for fish. Um, <clears throat> but... I believe that there are plenty of ways that you can use animal products and, and have them be perfectly humanely harvested, I guess. Um, so I would not, um, I mean, veganism is not really an option for me. I don't think it's uh, necessary, not something I'd really want to try. Although when I'm at home, really the only dairy I have here is uh, some butter in the freezer, which I almost never use. And I drink goat's milk with my cereal. Um, and other than that, I mean, honestly, when I'm eating at home, it just so happens that I'm, I'm pretty much a vegan except for that. Now, Lewis, to play devil's advocate, some would say to what you said about humanely raised and, and uh, slaughtered and butchered, some would say the no, 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 humanely harvested animal products. Oh, oh okay, 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 right, yeah. No, that, that's fine, yeah. Because, of course, if when some people say I go to, like, you know, the, the good organic uh, butcher and the whole thing, there would be this concept, which some would say, that is, if you're, if you're birthing, if you're creating an animal simply to kill it, it doesn't matter how you kill it. The entire concept of that is inhumane because the animal has no choice, no free will, etc. Um, but, of course, in the history of species, the uh, hunting of subordinate species on the food chain is something that exists uh, well beyond humans. Some would, of course, then counter that and say, well, humans are advanced enough that we don't need to be killing animals in order to survive. And this would be a back and forth. But the long, long and short of it is, Lewis has not considered veganism, neither have I. Is there anything else to say? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so, David. I think we've, we've covered it as, as well as we could. So what do you think? Was that a laugh off? Uh, personally, I would probably classify it as being dismissive. To, to give him extra credit, I, I'd say it was thoughtfully dismissive rather than thoughtlessly dismissive. So there's that. But a laugh off? I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't watch the video. I just listened to the audio. But I mean, based on how it sounded, I, I didn't even think he cracked a smile the whole time. So I don't know. You, you can judge for yourself. In any case, I am happy to have uh, corrected and clarified this critical issue. Secondly, today, though, I have another issue to address, which is that there, there was a segment, I mean, it was cut into two, but it was, it was one speech that I played in the previous episode, which had some sort of questionable things said in it. And, it, you know, maybe you heard it yourself and wondered how that ended up in the show. 
And so I'll, I'll just tell you from my perspective, over the weekend, I started getting emails. You know, I got, you know, maybe a couple of emails. And then yesterday, I got a, a few tweets about it. And uh, anyways, the, the basic message was, great show. Most of the clips were excellent, except that one guy, you know, how how did you end up playing a clip where a guy was talking about, uh, you know, the not vaccinating children and selling raw milk and uh, just sort of dishing out a lot of pseudoscience crap. And I, I, I read that. I thought, wait a second. He said, what? I didn't hear that. That sounds strange. I, I, I wouldn't have played something like that on the show, would I? And, uh, and so I went back and listened to it and, you know, as, as most of the people emailing and tweeting said, you know, like 90, 95% of what the guy had to say was like pretty reasonable stuff. I mean, he's like, he's kind of excitable. He's kind of kooky, you know, but you're like, all right, he's, he's out there, but he's having fun. I'll like, I'll, I'll go along for the ride. And then every once in a while, this like five to 10% of what he was saying was just like throwing in these little nuggets of true anti-science insanity. Here are a couple of examples. We love the Syrian rebels. We love the Arab Spring. We love the Egyptian rebels. We love the Libyan rebels. But in the U.S., if you're so rebellious that you want to sell raw milk or you want to make, you want to make compost-grown tomato paste in your kitchen and sell it to your neighbor or you want to not vaccinate your children or have your animals in a, in, in a pasture instead of a confinement facility or actually let the deer and the rabbits run through your garden and you have manure next to your cabbages that you sell. The, no, that is a terrorist and a bioterrorist. So that clearly sounds like some stuff that would not normally be on the show. Uh, the thing is, those comments were surrounded by a whole bunch of stuff that was perfectly fine, you know? As one listener on Twitter said uh, perfectly, that speech went back and forth between being awesome and problematic so often, I got whiplash. So, okay, so how did that end up on the show? Uh, honestly, I just missed it. The first couple of times I, I listened to it, I just didn't hear those comments. You know, I, I got the speech from a source I've used in the past. The whole thing was nearly 20 minutes. I, I sort of scanned it, you know, anti-factory farming, check, anti-monospecies, check, against overuse of antibiotics in livestock, check, pro-diversity, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And frankly, I just thought, yeah, you know, okay, that sounds pretty solid. And I, I just didn't listen closely enough to even notice because he does a thing where he kind of weaves in the crazy with all the other stuff that's fine. And, and so it, it went right by me. I mean, we just had the discussion on vaccines. So you know where I stand there. But as for this other stuff, I mean, there is a hell of a long way between being suspicious of the profit-driven scientists at Monsanto and thinking that, like, Louis Pasteur should also go fuck himself. I mean, if you're going to praise the benefits of drinking bacteria-laden, unpasteurized milk, then you can do it elsewhere. So, like I always say, there is an important difference between excuses and explanations. So, I'm not making an excuse. This is just the actual explanation of what happened. I missed it, plain and simple. Let that be a lesson to me. Now, before I go, I, I know the timing's bad. I just admitted to being a giant fuck-up. But another quick reminder, if you would like to vote for the show and uh, help us win one of the most prestigious prizes for podcasts... 
Maybe that's a little ironic to ask now, but uh, I'm hoping my track record will overcome uh, this one instance. So anyways, keep those votes coming in every day at podcastawards.com. Best of left is in the people's choice category. And of course, our friends over at the Majority Report are in the news and politics category. And once again, thanks to Wealthfront for supporting the show. They are the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. They automatically rebalance your portfolio and reinvest your dividends, all commission-free. Visit wealthfront.com slash left for details and get your first $10,000 managed for free. That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestofleft. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a crying shame How we get so trained Stories and wonder what we're missing. We can't see past our sad stories and forget how to listen. We can't see past our sad stories.